about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> Not a U2 thing. <laughs> what? A U2? It's a beautiful day. Oh, that's You're right. quoting a that's song from I a am. terrible band. Quoting uh, Bono. Oh, or <laughs> Bono. Wait, what are we talking about? It's worst gig ever. I'm Mike Pace. I'm Jeff Garlock. And on this episode today, we have uh, improv extraordinaire Mike Still. That's right, Mike. Still, all the way from L.A., he we is. shipped him in. We, we 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 blew our budget on paying for a ticket for this guy to come out here just because we want to talk to him so bad. We knew this guy likes to travel in style, so we <laughs> flew him first class. Yeah, no, no Jet blue first spare. class. Oh, bullshit! Um, right? And I got to tell you, this guy still crazy after all these years. <laughs> Mike Mike uh, shares some great stories with us about you know going through the mill, uh, uh, doing improv with Robin Williams, with Patch yep. Adams himself. Patch Adams himself mrs doubtfire was on the stage and so is mike still talks about doing renaissance fairs yeah it's it's a solid episode from a solid dude yeah. uh, I, I love mike still and i love that we we're finally able to get him into the studio i get the feeling that you're going to be seeing this guy going places i, I got big feelings you're going to yeah. see him all over the place he is uh he's one to look out for you know what else there is to look out for all of the back episodes of the Worst Gig Ever podcast available on iTunes, available from our Tumblr page, worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Got that right. Get in touch, worstgigever at gmail.com. Go to our Facebook page. That's right. You can like us on Facebook, send some comments on our iTunes page. Also, check out our individual Twitters. At Mike E. Pace. At G. Garlock. And, of course, there's also at Worst Gig Ever. There is at Worst Gig Ever. It's, <laughs> it's live and kicking, it kind is. of. Uh, so, like we said, we got Mike Still here. This guy still is going to kill. <laughs> Colt still oh. is going to kill. <laughs> This is a quick worst gig. I was invited along with a bunch of other people to perform at the Capitol Rotunda in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania when I was in high school. <laughs> okay. And the world renowned. The yes. world renowned. Now it's famous because uh, they bought a trash incinerator a few years back. And the idea was that other cities would like give Harrisburg their trash and they would burn it for money. Uh, and it cost them a quarter or a third of a billion dollars. And they're in debt now and they had to sell it. <laughs> The town-wide grift that went terrible. It, it, yeah, it remind, it's like a Parks and Rec. Right. It's, it's more absurd than that. And uh, um, so we were performing in high school. I was at, went to Hempfield High School. And my, uh, my drama teacher, one of my heroes, Pat Cowder, she was like, why don't you do that bit that you did in the variety show? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. That, that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of a silly bit. But like, if they're doing a big like, dance performance, then I come out and right. do my thing. So my bit was... Was there a purpose to this show? I think it was like arts in the school. Arts on parade. <laughs> arts on parade, right? It wasn't like, a we'll trash go... theme. Or something. <laughs> right. No, no, no. This is <laughs> hooray for the incinerator. <laughs> hooray for burning trash. Yeah. So, um, I my bit was a an interpretive dance to uh, Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> so <laughs> classic. Uh, uh, and it went over great in the variety show. <laughs> it was me uh, to the spoken word recording of me singing or talking green eggs and ham just like speaking it out like in a fake deep voice like do you do not you know you do not like green eggs and ham i do not like them <laughs> sam i am uh, uh so that but then i was in tights and cut off jean shorts in like a tight t-shirt and a green mask just like doing this interpretive dance to it <laughs> so real heady piece real heady piece and uh they asked me so i'm like yeah oh, great we'll do it it'll, it'll make sense so uh, uh, in the context, oh, this is a silly one. Mm-hmm. It'll be on stage. So it turns out it wasn't on stage. It was just in the center of like the dining area of <laughs> the Capitol Rotunda <laughs> sure. in Harrisburg. So um, 
it was we i went and and performed it and i just got all there was just like this crowd of people just staring at me with the deadest eyes <laughs> that i've ever seen <laughs> as i did a <laughs> an interpretive green dance to green eggs and ham and falling flat yeah just falling flat just awful falling yeah. flat I mean, that brings up an interesting point because speaking from like the music side of things, mm-hmm. whenever you perform in like a quote-unquote non-traditional venue, yeah. I don't know about you, but we, Oxford Collapse had performed in like, you know, squares yeah. and in you know, piazzas or whatever. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, when you're performing in a place that people are not necessarily accustomed to being entertained. Sure. Unless you're like gung-ho and you're totally confident that like you got this. There is that gap that just like uh, absolutely fall into and, right, and because people wander difficult. into it and they don't know the context of yeah. anything, you know, they're like, oh, this guy is probably serious about this yeah. weird interpretive dance. They don't know that it's <laughs> right. a goof. Yeah. They don't know right. that it's a now, lark. But, but it was part of a, a larger um, a for our event. Yeah. So that everybody was everybody also performing. In we, this? I, I think it didn't go great for the dancers either. This wasn't like the ideal venue for any sort of like. Dance performance. Yeah. So why were the people there? I don't know. Just for something to do? Foot traffic. Yeah, yeah foot traffic. Right. I guess. <laughs> it wasn't even on a stage. It was like on the ground. And so that that's, that just came to mind as a quick worst game. Yeah, yeah. But, no, that's... that's, that's for, I, How did the teacher react? Were they like, oh, you did She was fired. She was great. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think she was honest. She was just... Because she was cool. She was just like, yeah, that was, you know, this is a tough place to perform, I guess. You know, but right. hey, if you can do this, you can do anything. Right. Yeah. And now and look you, at me. Yeah, you learn. you learned, can make it here. <laughs> doing anything. Performing in basements. I'll do anything. What do you want? What do you uh, want? Performing in basements. I, I actually <laughs> remember getting a treatment for a video uh-huh. that, that someone wanted to shoot for us where it was like, okay, so the band is going to be like walking around New York City, like performing in the park and, like, pe- and we're going to gauge people's reactions. No. It's like literally, that sounds like the biggest nightmare oh my God. of all time. I, I turned I, it down. I, the, I had this weird, I, so I, I worked at the Ren Fair, uh, the P- Pennsylvania Renaissance <laughs> Fair, which was actually a great gig. I love it. A fun fact. Yeah. Super fun. Still. Uh, 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 so, a uh, fun fact, well-known, well-known fun well, fact. Well, no, if you go on your IMDb page, right there, the first thing. PA Renfair. Red hair. Yeah. Worked Renfair. Yeah. So, um, a couple of the people that played like the uh, king and queen, or I guess there wasn't king, but it was Queen Elizabeth, they would get gigs outside of the Renfair. <laughs> so... Uh, and we'd get paid like a hundred bucks. I was fifteen years old. That's we'd we'd get good. dressed up like Renaissance uh, folks and get paid a hundred fucking dollars. It's like great. <laughs> so two of the gigs. One of the gigs was for Land Rover. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's for Land Rover. For like every year they have like the Land Rover Owners Association all meet at like a lodge, and then everyone gets in their Land Rovers and goes out through like back trails. You know, to show that you can actually use the four wheel drive of Land Rovers. Was this like a well, that's safari? Well, that's what they drove in the yeah. Renaissance yeah, exactly. time. Yeah, yeah. It's, the official, it's the official Jeep. Is that jester with a flute <laughs> yeah. running alongside? Well, I guess I'm in a Land Rover. Hi, a Land Rover. <laughs> so uh, I rode in the back of a Land Rover for about like two hours with like a couple. We just sat in the back of a Land Rover. Me and another one of the, uh, there was like two actors per car. And who were you? I was a, I don't know, I was a, a bar Devereaux, a, 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 a Harlequin, yes. a Harlequin, and just kind of like make, you know, small talk with them and try to keep it like fun. But if, if I were a Land Rover owner, I wouldn't want like a weird no. Renfair kid sitting in the Especially back. a weird 15 year old yeah. Renfair kid. And then, and then they, another time we, we got a gig at a, a, a strange mansion, like a strange rich person, uh-huh. Pennsylvania mansion, uh, uh, <laughs> And we went, and it was just like four or five of us, and it was like this lady's like 40th or 50th birthday, uh-huh. and there was not a lot of people at this party, right? and they were getting wasted drunk, <laughs> like crazy drunk. And there was a sword swallower named Xavier, I think. It was that sounds oh, yeah. about right. About right, right? And he was like, oh, he, was, he had like this awful voice because he would also like drink gasoline and spit <laughs> it and stuff. And he kept talking about how the, the, the woman that was... Uh, who's having the birthday thrown for her was getting drunk and kept inviting him and the, and another one of her female friends into he's like into the bathroom with her and like <laughs> they keep inviting us to the, into the bathroom and then I had nothing to do like I don't sure. I'm 15 I, what am I supposed to do like in this situation fucking so old richly yeah so I went up and like watched his uh, her husband was really involved in carriage racing or like what what are those like <laughs> car- where like a person stands in like a little like segway looking thing behind a horse right. and it pulls him 
<laughs> that is so weird. Well, super weird. Wait, what were were you supposed to just mingle? Just mingle, go around and be like a little Renaissance fair in these rich people's house. We haven't like come up with that. Like or that hasn't come up yet. Like that type of gig where like like a uh, um, a party down s yeah because yeah. like of... you know you always hear about like you know Beyonce gets paid a to, private event yeah private event where like you know a big one like we're talking yeah. IBM or sure. you know Apple but this is like you know Stan's <laughs> aluminum siding sure like he's huge in Pennsylvania but they still yeah. are hiring. Little fifteen-year-old Mikey still yeah, walk around. Show up and walk around. I think I did a like a uh, sword fight with a friend of mine. <laughs> We'd choreographed a sword fight. How did you get involved in Rent Fair? Like what? I got involved what in Rent. You thinking? I, I I think I just auditioned for it. I think I went to an audition. Um, I, I, I this might be Rent Fair. This might have been something else. But I was like thirteen. I just moved up from Delaware. Uh-huh. Uh, I was living in Wilmington, Delaware. Just moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and hated it. Like had like friends in Delaware. Right, it's a wonderful place. It was the first year of uh, uh, this creative and performing arts middle school, so it was all based <laughs> around you know for like theater nerds like me and stuff. And and then moved up to Lancaster and just hated it. Yeah. And my my parents were very sympathetic and and were trying to get me involved in you know theater and stuff. Right. So so well, you'd, they, you'd think that they're like if you if you're interested in acting and theater and drama, like all of these outlets like. Medieval times being right, like, wait, right. Like, we ha- uh, when we had John Murray on and he was oh, talking right, about right. working at Johnny Rockets. I've he worked at Johnny Rockets, yeah. and you know, but yeah. there was there's, had to sing there's and... the acting portion of the absolutely. Job I guess I forget it, like because it's like I mean, I think it speaks vi- more volumes about me. Where like even though I did like acting stuff in high school, like I don't. I don't know the amount of self consciousness sure. about doing anything of that sort. What? Like I would be killing myself. Like just... I think that there was a little part of me. I mean, uh, a decent sized part of me sure. that was a bit resistant. I, right. I don't think I went full, like full, like full medieval. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like in my mind, I was never just like, ah, oh, I've accepted this. I always saw it as like this is a fun acting gig, but sure. it is an acting gig. Right. And there will be other acting gigs. This right. won't be the only thing I do. I'm not in this just for the dress sure. portion. Although I'm, it was really fun. I, I, well, I wish yeah. I kind of did embrace it even more and was just like, fuck it, I'm a ready. I feel like that's the moral of life. It's yeah. like you look back at everything, you're like, why didn't I embrace everything yeah, a lot I, more? I, you know, for the listener, Comic-Con just happened. Right. I'm not a comic book guy at all, mm-hmm. but... And, I, and so, it's, you know, my knee-jerk reaction to thinking about people doing cosplay, cosplay and all yeah. that yeah. stuff, I'm just like, but then, to apply what we're talking about now, like... Maybe you just fucking got it. What an asshole we are. Dark nihilist every once in a while. For me to go to video game websites every single day and keep up on video game news, which I do, (laughs) right? And then be like, I wouldn't do cosplay. It's like fucking embrace it. Yeah, right. Go be, you know, uh, go be Earthworm Jim or something. (laughs) I would love if anyone (laughs) probably great sex. I would imagine actually, if you find a partner who's also sure. I mean, that's actually (laughs) the next thing I was going to ask you. I mean, I felt I never delved into in the the acting world that i was involved in high school but except for like my high school girlfriend yeah but there definitely was some theater sex going on like i mean i I guess there wasn't (laughs) did you not see that i didn't have a lot of my my high school experience was pretty tame i think (laughs) pretty tame you you could go either way like just full bore right wench Whore, right? Or yeah. just like well, uh, chased. I had legend. like uh, uh, my experience with Renfair was that I, I just had a lot of like, <laughs> which is actually kind of creepy now in retrospect, but like kind of older women that would be like, "Man, if you weren't fifteen years old, <laughs> oh, Mike, you'd brother. be mine." <laughs> I am. How old are you? So I'm, lonely. Yeah, I'm thirty-three years old, and now it's now as a thirty-two-year-old, I'm like, okay, I know exactly <laughs> I who say, that would be. Older ladies, lonely like, milk maidens. Yeah. 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 Like that, th- th- you would hit on a fifteen-year-old at, at Renfair. It's creepy. like okay, it's a yeah. little creepy. But, but like, uh, but I never had sex with an older woman. <laughs> well, that's a perfect transition, actually. Um, d- upon you know doing some research, I found on the uh, Mike Still IMDb page oh. on the message board. Oh yeah, there is one comment. I know who it is, dude. Uh, just it, 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 in part and parcel of uh, uh, with Renfair, the one comment is. Should be in Viking movies. <laughs> That's the name of and the post. What is the date from? It's uh, like it's from uh, Monday, June first, two thousand nine. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, ah. and the post reads one sentence: 
This guy is the reason that all summer 2011 movies will be Viking-based blockbusters. Oh, no. Well, at least I had a... That, that was my friend Nate put that up, I remember. And at least he had, like, a high expectation. Oh, so you yeah. know Nader Tots I know one. Nader Tots. <laughs> okay. that's, that's, that's Nate Kushner. He used to be in a sketch group together. And I guess I just got my first, like, IMDb credit, or I don't know what it was, but he put it up there. And uh, I mean, speaking of the sketch group you were in yes. with him, do you have any... Wor- that, would, that group was called... A week, uh, of a, a week of kindness. Uh, do you have any worse gigs from doing? <laughs> we, I mean, I have to like think about that for a second. Because how long did you guys exist? Uh, a week of kindness. We started together. I think we had our first meetings in like 2004, and then. Um, and this is uh, uh, New York UCB. New days. York, yeah. yeah, and it was it was pre UCB. It was pre me doing UCB. Okay. Yep. Um, it was it was buddies from college. It was my friend Nate Kushner. Uh, my friend Dan Hopper, and then uh, Erica Harsh was in it. Alicia Pawanda, who actually worked at the Renfer with, who went to that mansion thing with nice. me. Nice. She was in it. So this guy named Devin T. Quinn. Uh, there was a bunch of people in it that left within six months, and then it was just the three <laughs> dudes basically left. As it usually happens. A, a lot of people did not stick around. Uh, but the, but the thing was, we were. I, I I like to think that it was a golden age of sketch comedy in New York. Mm-hmm. It was like pre any sort of like mod teams at UCB, right? And it was mostly. Performing at where would we perform at the pit? We would perform at like Rafifi. Uh, uh, we perform uh, out here at Galapagos. Right. Uh, our first gig ever was at Galapagos. For the they listener, have... that's in uh, Williamsburg. Williamsburg. Oh, yeah. say, is not it anymore. Used to be. Used in Dumbo. Now it's in Dumbo. Yeah. Oh, they moved. Yeah, they moved underneath like the bridge. Yeah, it used to be down uh, in North Six, which yeah. is now. But used to be a big. Uh, you know, I saw some. Yeah. Heralds there. I saw. You saw Heralds at Dumbo. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Galapagos. Galapagos. And had that big pond out front. Yeah. Yep. And you had to walk over like this little like uh, uh, pathway. This really metal pathway. We played in, at Galapagos a couple times. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think we it was played a cool there venue. Too. Yeah. It was great. Um. So we would perform there. We performed like, um, uh, you know, at, at a bunch of the sketch fests and stuff. And uh, I'm trying to think of like a one awful gig that like stands out. I think one of the things that was always like tough about sketch comedies, we'd you'd have like a bag and a half of props, like huge right. bags of props and costumes. And well, stuff. I remember when we did, I mean, just on a side, you and I did a sketch, uh, The Docs, a sketch yeah. I had written. And it was a good show, but we did a show at Legion, Legion yeah. Bar. But I remember having that feel where I was just like, ugh, we're dragging up fucking ah, yeah. ice cream and bananas and bowls of food. And oh, like, yeah. Everyone else is just like, oh, Kumail Namanjani can just fucking go That's up and right. do stand up. <laughs> Who's t- whose show is that? Was that dog shit? Uh, yeah, the two dudes from Murder Fest. Yeah, that was yeah. Ed Larson. Uh, uh, everyone else ben was Kessel. smart and didn't. Do a sketch that you brought shit. Required but. ice cream in it. We did. I remember one time we had a gig. Speaking of Murder Fist, this is the first time I met Henry uh, from Murder Fist and, and John, too, from Murder Fist. The first time we met them. Uh, and it was at the, bro- it was a performance venue up in on Broadway. There's like, there's like a little performance. I forget what it was called. In Brooklyn or New York? No, it was in New York. Yeah. And it was in Hell's Kitchen. Really? I can't think of what I've, that would have been. Ah, the Broadway something. I Max is Kansas City. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely. still there. CBGBs. <laughs> but we showed up, and there were three people in the audience. Yeah. Three people in the audience. So we we did our stuff, you know. For I think Dan's mom was there. I think my <laughs> girlfriend at the time showed up late. She wasn't. Even, she wasn't there. Uh, uh, and, and that's why you broke up with her. Yeah, I was just like, how dare you miss this game? You have to support me! She's like, you want me to see every show? You're really demanding. Uh, so, and then uh, uh, Murder First went, and it was Henry and uh, uh, John, and they just, oh, they were so amazing. It was right. just like, this guy is fucking awesome. Murder Fist, for the, for the listener, New York-based uh, sketch team that are insane. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Great sketch team. So great. But just, like, really, like, legitimately, like, some, like I've seen sketches like four times by them and still i'm just like what is going on i know are they affiliated with any uh particular theater or uh no they are the pit they they do do a show over at the pit yeah Uh, yeah uh and they just had their 10-year anniversary wow yeah it's like a fever dream but then the other group which i think someone has talked about maybe on here somewhere but there was another group that closed out the night called sketch this (laughs) have you heard of this before (laughs) where they would end every every sketch with they would all like you know, there'd be a sketch about running a marathon. It was kind of like cutesy and lame. And then they would all go, sketch this. <laughs> I'm into it. And they freeze and go, sketch this. Wait, 
they're not the group that went out, that goes on for 40 minutes though right oh i, I don't know okay. they were on for a long time but it was just like Never the four mind. of us and it was one of those times where you're just like why the hell are we doing yes. this like what what are we doing here well, that, that sort of leads into the question that i was going to ask i mean clear you know when, you, when you're playing music and you mm-hmm. play in front of three people it's yeah. always kind of a struggle just especially yeah. with the rigmarole of the equipment that you lug in you're probably sure. you know You've got that idea in your head of like every show I'm going to play my heart out, but those are the ones where you're like, maybe this rule shouldn't be so steadfast. You kind of want to be performing in front of as many people as you can, but in improv, like, are the rules a little different? Where like, there are only three people here, but can you guys do the same thing? I mean, I think with improv, it's interesting because um, improv's a little bit less painful than sketch for low numbers of people because like improv. I did a show for just like five or six people the other night uh, out in L.A. And it's just like you kind of do it for yourselves on the team once it's like that few people. And the people in the audience kind of like appreciate it in some sort of way. They're like, oh, this is like the small. They really want to be there. Right. You know, Um, because also with improv, like you work on it, obviously, a lot. But you also don't. You you know you're prepping, but in a different way. Like yeah. you're going up, and you no matter what, you're making it up. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, as opposed to like you're going to see a band, and and you really like this band, and they have all these songs, and you're looking around like, why is there nobody? Right. Why you didn't kind of and, and weird that band vibe. put on like you know that band probably like put three weeks into working on one part of one yeah. song to make it perfect. Make for it perfect. Three people. We yeah. did. I remember um, uh, uh, UCB tried to do a. Uh, a sketch version of the Del Close Marathon. Yes. It was called The Longest Sketch Show Ever or something it like sucked. that. <laughs> yeah. A Week of Kindness went on at like like, like 4 a.m. or something yeah. or 3.30. It was super early or yeah. 7 a.m. It was like absurdly early. Yeah. And in the audience was High Bender was there. Yep. Dave Blubband was there. And like two other people that I think were asleep. Yeah. Guys who, obs- who live at the theater. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, exactly. had no other place yeah. to go. Uh, and and High told me, he's like, I wrote a letter to Matt Besser and said, why didn't A Week of Kindness have a better slot? Sure. And I'm sure Besser was like, who the fuck is A Week of Kindness? Yeah. I didn't program these slots. <laughs> like, I'm not thinking more poorly, who the fuck is High Bender? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, for but the listener. Yeah, that, yeah for the Don't listener. Know. <laughs> uh, his it's website's nice. interesting. Yeah. Uh, Good man. He yeah, like gave that. us a weird review once. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah, no, he gave uh, Getting Quaid. Oh, he did? A show that Mike still directed. A show I wrote. Yeah, he... Ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah it really was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he did a whole, like... Uh, yeah, he just was just, like, not my thing, basically. Yeah. But he also did the thing where I just asked, hey, can you list the show? Uh-huh. And then he proceeded to, in an email, just to me, explain the things that he didn't like about the show. Oh. And I said... Cool. Thanks. So, are you gonna list it? And then he did, and I was just like, "Why did you put me through this rigmarole?" He's like, "I see enough stuff that I you just need." I to mean, know I'm I- sure he's a nice guy. His website looks like it's designed in like Alta Vista. <laughs> like, I mean, it needs a redo. <laughs> uh, just someone help out. Hi. To that end, though, like you were okay. Um, you, the, the ephemeral nature of yeah. of improv, and that mm-hmm. you do that, you do it. It's, it's not really preserved for posterity. Yeah. You know the the way. Just bring it back to to music, right? Or, or even getting Quaid, which right. you, you, you have on tape, I'm yeah. Assuming. And that's the script. You it have was, like yeah. the, the, all the artifacts from it, like the videos. So and all the work that was put into it still exists yeah. in some form. So, can be repri- uh, just, replicated. Yeah, I'm just curious about that. As the you know, improv in itself, uh, as opposed to stand up. Yeah, you know. It's here one day, it's gone, gone the next. So maybe you, you have one show isn't that great, and then I mean, do you sit and stew on that, or is it the kind of thing where you just kind of okay? Next, you know what? Next night's another thing. I feel like the only time like there were some bad Herald shows that really stick with you. Like when I was on Herald Night, which is like one of the UCB's like uh, house team nights. It's where it's kind of like how people get in. It's the first go at being on a house team at UCB, right? Harold Knight was like, there were some Harold Knight shows that you would do bad, and you wouldn't just be like, ah, oh, whatever. You would just, it felt awful. It right. felt so bad. I remember this one time we had like a new person doing our blackout who had never done blackouts before. And this was, I think, Bangs. And I remember that I had a scene with Fran or like Craig. Bangs, and- who did a show with. Robin Williams, right? Yes, we did a show with Robin Williams. Best, great best. Bangs game. is a group. Or Bangs was the group he was on. Oh. Yeah, and Robin Williams showed up one night and was just yeah. like, "I want to do improv." Oh, and they yeah. were the and Chuck ones. Dobble put us, and put him in with Bangs. Yeah, all right. So well, we, well, let's let's come back to that. Yeah, yes. that's, that was the high point of Bangs. The, uh, <laughs> but the low point. Low point was it, it was I think Fran and Craig were doing a scene towards the end of a, a show, and I step out to like make a move. 
something involving French fries. I remember like <laughs> French fries are cold, and like I remember <laughs> saying like coming at me like French fries are cold. And like no reaction. <laughs> really, <laughs> the person who like was doing the lights, or just as I was saying it, started doing the lights. But instead of like doing a black, he was just like a quick blackout. Right. Started doing this slow blackout uh. as I'm like, French fries are cold. And then they stopped. <laughs> and then I went to say something else, like so. If you and then <laughs> blackout. Right. <laughs> and I think watching it, your slow death. It, it still resonates yeah. with me, even like talking about it now. I get a little sick feeling in my stomach as like the most. Awkward, embarrassing, like improv moment on stage. Right. No, it was just, like, uh, just to clarify because for, uh, I don't know if, if people don't know, but a blackout is a very quick sketch. Usually, what like yeah. thirty seconds. Oh no, but this is for improv. this was for improv. So this was the end of the whole show. It was just okay. the blackout at the end of the show. Okay. So, so the yeah. final line for for a Harold set for yeah. an improv set yeah. is the blackout line. So and you, they, the the tech person kind of picks it. They pick it based on time, but also by experience. Yeah. Ideally, and you want it to be like the. Good blackout lines are like the best feeling in the world. Right. You say this, everyone laughs. There's a blackout, uh-huh. and it, it it accelerates the comedy uh, just from the fact that there's like this like quick bam. It's right. Done. Just like with blackout sketches, which yeah. you were mentioning, like in, uh, it, with, or and I call it the but oh, it's the button line in a yeah. sketch because it's the button that uh, presses uh, the nuclear bombs to go off and make the world explode. Yeah. I.e., the audience <laughs> goes yeah. They get so like, excited and hopefully with improv, the fries are cold. <laughs> fries are cold, and I'm. It was the worst feeling in the world. It's still like. But was it a timing issue on the text end where he just did get it? And it was, or was he doing a dramatic, like... Because sometimes, I've seen it happen a few times before where there's, like, a slow fade. Right. But So what happens at, at Herald Night, or at least used to happen... Uh, uh, when weekend shows, just the tech calls it, but on hair night, you have coaches and everyone's there and like making sure you're doing good improv and yeah. you get notes afterward and stuff. Right. Uh, uh, so the coach will call it. So he was just, I think, he was giving us notes and he was another Herald team member and I think he was nervous and just uh, uh, didn't give like a, because you know, you give like a blackout. Right. You do like a nice firm like that so the sure. tech person knows. I go like this. Right. You know, I'm just, I'm waving my arm, I'm chopping my arm right now. <laughs> but you can tell he was probably nervous. He's like, how about no, no, no and yeah. it didn't go. <laughs> So it was just like this awful feeling of like the the the, sca- the scene was tanking, yeah. And then I walked in with like some lame, uh, hopefuling to like save it, and it didn't work. And then there right. was like the slow blackout that stopped halfway, and then I started to mutter something else, and it went all the way. It was an awful feeling. But is, is, oh, go on. Just, I mean, clearly, you know, you're going to be your own worst critic in that mm-hmm. kind of risk. Is it the type of thing that perhaps the audience like didn't even notice i think or? i feel like you feel it if it doesn't go out well i mean probably yeah. no one remembers that yeah. that's probably not in many other people's brains right now that's probably did, nev- that did not create any no neurons one cares. it's not i no remember crying out in the middle of the night the fries are cold no oh, the fries are cold again uh but it was like the audience was like you can feel it right. at the end of a show where it just didn't go well, well i i think to speak to something you said before like it you know the audience might not remember but you know as uh, and you can speak to this, like when you get in a Herald team, like everyone, you know, most people at UCB, they work to get onto a Herald team. Sure. But then when you get on a Herald team, just like getting on a mod team, like, uh, which are the sketch, the, the pressure yeah, is the there also because you're representing like UCB, but also you're getting notes. Like, getting notes and there's afterwards. a possibility that you could get cut. yelled at and cut. Yeah, because the fries were cold. Yeah, I mean, oh, how okay. was why how, did you make how that was move? that process? Because you're in a team now. Like yeah. you do death by Ruru. I do death uh, by Ruru. I do diamond line. Baby wants can- yeah. candy. Diamond line. Like all these teams that like don't have to get that. Don't have to worry anymore. about notes and shit. Ah, man, Harold Knight was fucking stressful. Like I, I, I get so envious when I talk to people that were on. Harold teams that like clicked and went really really right. well and because uh, uh, I'm just like oh your Harold experience wasn't like a stressful one right. like no man it's fucking fun and then they get cut from a team they're like fuck this and you're like all right see because you're on you're you're a fantastic improviser yeah, thank you but uh, besides Ruru like mm-hmm. all the teams you've been on have been like uh, good yeah but not good. Not, any, not the like I mean you've been on great t- but like bangs. Twelve thousand dollars, like yeah, and uh, then Badman. I feel oh, like Badman did great. Though. Yeah, Badman's great. All those teams, like twelve thousand dollars, was such a fun group of people. Right. I loved everyone on it. We all like. I'm still friends with all those guys, and we had some like really good shows. But 
I don't, we didn't know what to do. We right. didn't know what to do. And over the course of what, nine months, we had like four coaches. So right. it's like, that's, you have to have a, someone to mold a team. Was right. it the kind of thing where you couldn't figure out your identity? Yeah, we, a... just, we just didn't know how to like work together. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, it was like, okay, we're having sex, but this is, I don't know if this is good sex. You right. know what I mean? We're like, I we mean, need my penis is in your vagina, but <laughs> it counts feels, as sex. Yeah. Yeah, we're not right. wearing our, our Darth Vader mask. Right. Which, if back. we just embrace how much we love Star Wars, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with cosplay sex. There we go. Uh, uh, so, uh, we, everyone, the Dever, it was a great team. I really still think that like that team could have been like a, a great Herald team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just didn't know yeah. what we were doing, you know? Right. So then Bangs came together uh, uh, after that team got broken up and... Bangs came together, and we had, like, out of the gate, just, like, two months of, like, awesome shows. Mm-hmm. Like, great, great shows. And then we kind of, like, lost our, lost the mojo. Uh, well, speak, uh, to, speak to Robin Williams showing. Oh, that was amazing, yeah. yeah. So we, I went downstairs. This was in 2008, uh, down into the UCB basement, and uh, there was uh, Chuck Dobble, the house manager. He's like, uh, he's like uh, Robin Williams is here. And I'm like, what? And, <laughs> and he's like, Robin Williams is here. He's like, you're going to be performing with him. He's, he's in the back getting, you know, about to warm up with everyone. So, uh, so we went back there and he did, he did warm-ups with us. <laughs> he, he did like um, uh, but this exercise called Badada where you say, you're in a circle, you say a word, the next person next to you says a word, and then everyone repeats those two words and says Badada. So it's like right. the electric company thing. Right. So it's just like red, shoe, red, shoe, Badada. Right. Or for people in L.A., it's Badada-da in L.A. Which oh, really? Me, yeah, that took Fuck me a little that. while to get <laughs> used to that. So, so he did that. Like He didn't quite get it, but he was like... Uh, he did both of the letters himself. <laughs> right. Because we just jumped right into it. Right. I think we were too nervous to like be like, Mr. Williams, this is how you play Badada. He's like, oh, I'll just I'll pick up. And uh, he was just like, Obama, uh, Obama, Barama, Badada. He said Obama something. <laughs> right. Uh, and it was a really fun show. It was like... It did, was, it, did the thought ever leave your mind that I am performing with Robin Williams? Oh, absolutely. No. It was, I mean, oh, it was just like... of like The whole time, it was... I, was, I, don't, I didn't actually... I think I did a few walk-ons and... Uh, uh, I think at one point he like chastised me for like referencing like sex with like uh, Nicole Kidman or something like that. Or I forget exactly what the thing was. In um, his John Wayne voice, of course. Yeah, he he's came like, on. no, watch out, Pilgrim. Can't have sex with then Nicole Kidman. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> he did like the classic, the classic yeah. Rob Williams black voice. Black voice. <laughs> you got to do it. Hey, man. Uh, so, uh, uh, but I remember Jen Bartels did like a scene with him where. She just like kind of stepped out and did like a weird dancing move, and then he like narrated it like he was a uh, uh, nature. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. it was it was a wonderful, it was a huge moment. It right, real real good. Did you get notes that night? I don't think we got <laughs> notes that night. I think it was like you know what, guys, you don't have to get notes that tonight. Uh, just to go back for me on the notes, that, like how did it feel? Get like how does it feel getting notes? Like is there a certain point where I mean it's it's it feels like I. I hated when we started getting them on mod teams, honestly. You got, like, yeah, it, I, I it, saw that. That's right when I was leaving. I was yeah, like, and it started it's to, after, right after a mod show. It doesn't right. make any sense to me. It starts to we, kind of break show your you can spirit, do it the next day. You know? I kind of wish we would talk about... I wish that you could give notes um, at like the next rehearsal. Right. I don't see there's any reason to like give notes directly after right. the show. Because the problem with notes is that we get longer and longer. I remember waiting for friends sometimes, and there were certain coaches that would give our notes. Right. And you're just like, what the fuck? The show was an half hour long right <laughs> we're trying to have fun and i think that you have to you have to get you have to understand how to do good improv i mean it's a process it's right. like a, a, a it's it's a it's a real type of communication you know like doing improv it is a way of like talking to eight other people mm-hmm. on, and you have to learn how to do that now some coaches were much better at making sure that like these notes were effective in like what can we do next how can we make it better right some coaches are punishers yeah some people are punishers yeah and you got to be aware of those people that pun it want to punish i don't I like nietzsche punishers. said that yeah people that are just like why did you fucking do that you know right. that's stupid like now sometimes granted like i you know i, I teach in uh, improv and and sometimes you do feel that way you're just like why the fuck you know but that's if someone is fucking around you're or right. like not taking stuff seriously or whatever right but sometimes there needs to be an element of not taking things seriously and but my my biggest pet peeve in comedy and this isn't specific Harold Knight is when people go well that was silly and everyone loved it right but it wasn't good and you're like we got to give this audience credit like if we're performing for an audience full of buffoons right and we do buffoonish things and they right. laugh great but if you're performing for like Harold Knight audience it's like UCB 
like audience. It's a savvy crowd that's like into comedy. Right. They we should any laughter that we can get from them should be valid laughter. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I well because no matter what, I mean, it's obviously it's all subjective. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, all it takes is fucking my mother to say, "Oh, I don't think that's funny," and that's it. Like that. Like they count. She wins the argument versus someone who can be like, "No, you have to understand that it, second it w- beat was much stronger than this." And but that. Yeah. the flip side, you can say, "Look, I watched Grown Ups on a plane and I laughed consistently." Yeah, right. You, yeah. Does that make it like <laughs> a really? good? I, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed. I'm it. sure you did. I thoroughly enjoyed. That's my boy. In the theater as well. <laughs> that um, I can't stand behind that one. I'm sure Grown Ups Two is going to be. Hilarious. Was it a good movie? Yeah, but did I? Was I entertained? For yeah, 90 I minutes? thought that's my boy was paid full. And I'm and I'm all for if you have that like specifically with like improv teams. If you have a close relationship with your coach and you guys have a the group has an agreement on style and type of comedy that you're going for, then you can be like, okay, they laughed, but that's not what we're going for. Right. Um. I personally have never seen anything where where people make an audience laugh where I'm right. like. No, you don't go for that. I don't understand it. I really don't. I'm curious about, you know, kind of, you've been doing improv for a number of years, and you recently made the move to Los Angeles a couple of years ago. Yeah. The idea to kind of go pro, quote unquote. With improv. Or like. With with improv, with with acting in general. Yeah. What's the. At what point do you decide what's the impetus to kind of like. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, like I, uh, I, I think one of the things that you're like, all right, now's the time to like go pro. Mm-hmm. Now's the time to get, is when I think when you realize like you can own houses from this stuff that we do. <laughs> right. For me, that's what, it, like thinking about that, you know, because it's always been in my blood to perform. I've always been a performer, uh, uh, Back from like being in like musicals and in elementary school through Renfair, you know, of, Renfair course, yeah. of course, which I'll always mention because uh, <laughs> uh, I got a lot of love for it. And and you know up through doing comedy and, and improv and stuff, it's always been there. But right. then you see that people own houses and things, and you're like, oh, now I just need to figure out that side of it. Yeah, uh, uh, and it's a mystery. I mean, it's a huge mis- at least where I. My, my upbringing, you know, I, don't, mm-hmm. I didn't have anyone else in my family in entertainment. I had a cousin that was in, in soaps and is still in, in soaps. And that was the, the most that my family had delved into any sort of entertainment. Susan Lucci. Susan Lucci. Okay. Maybe you know her. Susan Lucci, who actually used to get her uh, hair done at the same place my mom did. My mom, I think, still does on oh, the really? for many years. Really? Wow. Yeah. There you go. Uh, she didn't have a hairstylist? Oh, well, I'm sure she probably had a hairstylist but on she would set. Go there but, to, you know, when she would go great. for her own. Uh, and actually, fun fact for the audience. For my wedding, I actually got my hair done there. By <laughs> Susan really? Lucci. I, oh, I, I went there. You said, give me the Lucci. It's my special day. <laughs> give me the Lucci so I never win an Emmy for 30 years. Or yes. um, but no, I, I mean, that, the, the, that theoretical brass ring, or right, that, yeah. you know, if you will, and this idea of like, oh my God, I can actually like get paid, like someone yeah. will pay well, me money to do, to do this. Of like, like, I feel like, you know, you probably had that moment, too, with Oxford Collapse, and I did it with Panthers, where it's like, oh, let's go for it now. But if even at the in retrospect, but at the time, I was like, this is less realistic, like in these terms, like for me, at least, at least in, with Panthers, it mm-hmm. felt less realistic of yeah. like being able to do that, really, like with a, partly because the way the music industry was going anyways. What do you mean? The fact that you you would be able to make a a sustainable living, a off sustainable of it? living, yes. I, it's weird because I I, mean, I never felt that way completely. I felt like I was lying to myself. Uh, well, what I think I think the difference is in terms of acting and and doing comedy. It's, it's that it's not as much of a niche mm-hmm. audience, regardless sure. of the fact that we were both on on on, on fairly large record labels. Right. Like the stuff that we were playing really was never going to get beyond a certain audience. Right. So I, I always kind of saw it as a short-term thing. That like, right. Well, maybe yeah. in addition to being able to do this and go around touring and playing music and putting out records, like I can make a little money doing right. this and it's cool. Yeah. But whereas... Which with, it did, you know. Yeah, yeah but with, like with you, there's almost like there's a there's a, a the long term yeah. plan where like you're and not going to necessarily grow out of it. And I kind of felt like when I first got into comedy that it was part of this more of a niche thing where it was like okay, doing the smaller thing, but still, again, it's all under the umbrella mm-hmm. of acting, just like the Ren Farewell, right. just like this, right. and then just being like, oh, 
there's a lot of there's a huge audience for comedy. Yeah, you can stay in it your whole life. You can you can really yeah. dig into some acting with it. You can you can uh, uh, just realizing how big of a uh, how much there is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't know about like in in terms of like what what kind of like the metal that you're involved with. If there's right. a there must like people must make money off of it, right? Oh, or sure. Like, but it's, yeah. it's it's a I mean it's incredibly. You know, it's a, it's a combination of all these factors that come together, yeah, right? Um, you know, uh, to to and it just it's look at none, least for me musically <laughs> as as my bands have progressed, they've gotten actually like less capable of doing mm-hmm. that. It's like in metal, definitely. Like in Panthers, there was more of a shot for a period. Yeah, it's like the whole Brooklyn thing was a little mm-hmm. bit more palatable, but there was still enough of like, well, we're gonna reach a certain level. Playing heavier music, like you know, there are bands who are freaking in death metal bands for 30 years yeah. Yeah. and are still like have to come home and do construction like i was like yeah. when i realized that point where i was like you know what though i'm not gonna do that like that's where that, i'm like i'm not that. a laborer and, like and, i'm just <laughs> not I, and i don't want to be a bartender the like nature, i need to figure this the nature right? of yeah. how you get paid in music has changed where to really make money at yeah. the level that we were at you had to get a song licensed right. you know for a sure. commercial or something it's so, or tore your ass off non-stop right. and I feel like that it's similar uh, in acting is that like commercials are like the everyone that's kind of like the lowest energy state in terms of like as an actor that you know you can make money at where you're mm-hmm. just like oh, I'll just go out to the commercials all the time right at the end of the day the big corporations will pay us <laughs> right yeah. you know right. like they'll have they're, they're just kind of sweating off money and yeah. you know bands and actors can go and kind of like get some of the sweat yeah, and jars here there well yeah. in terms of doing commercials and things like that uh, any worse gigs from the uh, the audition process oh god auditions are like oh my god I, I uh, when I first moved out to LA, I, I remember having like the super condescending casting director who thought it was like new to it because he had never seen me before. Was it when Lynn Stallmeyer? <laughs> Lynn Stallmeyer. <laughs> no, it was it was it was just a, some casting guy, and it was just I don't know why this sticks out because we didn't have to, I didn't have to do anything too like uh, embarrassing in it. I mean, I've had to do some like weird embarrassing. Oh, okay, I've had to do some like weird or embarrassing ones, which were kind of like. Oh, that was weird. But this guy was just so fucking condescending. And it's still, whenever I see him, I, I'll, I'll see him around like every couple months. He's, it's just the worst. It's just like, okay, sir, what you need to do is you need to pick up the paper and then pull it down and have, make sure you don't look right at the camera. You're like, I know, man. Uh, uh, just It's whenever um, commercial, it's usually commercial casting directors. There's some great ones out there that are super nice and super cool. Uh, but sometimes when they ha- their assistants are just like over it, and they treat you like shit. Yeah, and right. you just want to be like, you are, you are Hitler's minions right now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you are taking the little bit of power you have and being shitty to people. Right. Not every, you know, they're, not all of them do this. Like a lot of them are like super great, nice people. And you can tell they're happy to like see people. But it's those little moments where you just see how quickly people could become Nazis with the little bit of power that they yeah. have. Sure. You know? Uh, uh, but a more specific example of like something weird happening. I remember I was doing a, a, an audition for uh, some sort of commercial where this they're like okay this girl's gonna jump up on you and she's gonna be all excited and stuff and you just pretend to kiss and she just jumped up on me and just started like open mouth kissing me like brutally open mouth yeah just brutal like sticking her tongue like shoving it in my mouth um uh, uh, there's a lot of like little stories like that in the commercial. No, wait, you know, just maybe I'm a little naive to this because I, but because I've never really gotten the straight dope as it were on Uh on making out on film or on TV or whatever like I've heard sometimes you just you just go for it you do it and then other times there's that rule that like no tongue like I mean yeah, from a from a from a working actor here. What? How do, What's I, the deal? I don't do a lot. I don't get a lot of kissing scenes. I did mo- more kissing scenes in high school than I did oh, really since then. Re- yeah. Oh yeah. High school's crazy doing interpretive dances, <laughs> yeah. kissing, Renfair. Uh, Renfair. The uh, uh, the few times that I have had to do uh, uh, kissing scenes, you kind of you make out, but you, it's like. There can be a little bit of open mouth, I think. I think the thing is where it's like real open mouth, it looks bad. Right. It like straight uh, sure. up looks bad. Right. You know, like you don't want to see yourself kissing right. someone like that. So it's kind of like soft open mouth. Like, like, just, like a little bit of... For the listener, like Mike taste. is pucker, puckering his lips it's to the, uh, <laughs> to the uh, microphone wing guard. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can take um, that one home with you. <laughs> but, but I've never had to do a sex scene or anything like that. So Keep your fingers crossed. And that's crossed. full penetration, Ooh, right? That full penetration. Yeah. Every, every time. <laughs> From it's the audition. Like, don't look now. It's just nonstop. Oof. 
No, what is Don't Look Now? Okay, Don't Look Now is an amazing movie. Yep. 1973, I think, directed yep. by Nicholas Rogue. Rogue. It's Donald Sutherland and Julia Christie. Julie Christie, and they—it's a horror film. It's actually yeah. a very creepy movie about they're an American couple. They move to Europe uh, somewhere near yeah, Italy, Rome, maybe. I think. Yeah, and their or Venice, uh, their child—they have like a, a young girl dies. Uh-huh. And, and this, this happens at the beginning of the movie, and it's a psychological kind of thriller, and yeah. it's, it's really creepy and really well done, very early 70s. But there is probably the most explicit, like, passionate, erotic sex scene, I think, um, yeah, I, anyone that I've ever spoken to is like, I've never seen anything. Like, between Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie in this movie, yeah. it's like... Five minutes long. It's like no way it, he's not. Yeah, I mean, munching some is, rug. You know is, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's probably it's hands down the most realistic yeah. sex scene in a, in like a mainstream motion picture. Yowza. Probably yeah. because it actually. Yes, it probably yeah. actually happened. But, so uh, so one today. day uh, when you're in the Don't Look Now remake. Oh yeah, just get ready. There's gonna be a lot of like demand for me to be. He's <laughs> like, when's Mike's gonna have his first sex scene? <laughs> That's the second thing on my IMDb. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, looks like uh, Nader Tots uh, won. <laughs> <laughs> Listening in. It's left a new message. <laughs> so, so, so the commercial rigmarole, though, yeah. of like, what's, take us through, like, what's a week for you, like, oh, in terms of now. callbacks, finding out yeah. about work, that kind of thing? Well, like, um, uh, I feel like uh, there's all these seasons in LA like you, you'll always hear about like okay this is pilot season this is episodic season this is like uh, staffing season this is like uh, pitching I don't know if that's one or not but uh, uh, I love pitchy season pitchy got it love pitchy season it's all different like they're like you I don't think there's like a standard week for an actor in LA um, uh for example, I haven't gone out for a lot of commercial stuff because I'm, I'm doing Edinburgh Fringe Festival mm. uh, 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 with Baby Wants Candy, the musical improv group. And so because of that... And, oh, and I was also back here for Del Close right. and back here for another thing. Um, and basically all summer, I haven't been able to go out for auditions for commercials Got and it. stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, but like a typical week is, you know, maybe you hopefully have something on Monday that you know of from, you know, Friday before. And if it's if it's for a, a show or a pilot, then you grab a friend and have them read the stuff with you out loud and kind of work on the script that way. Uh, and then I'll have like, you know, coach some improv, still coaching improv for cash and stuff at night. And then... Uh, um, uh, just repeat it the next day, and if you don't have anything, it's you're just like, oh shit, I don't have anything. So yeah, you're at a point right now where you're, you're you don't have to have uh, another type of job that you're not necessarily invested in to yeah. pursue um, acting jobs. Totally, yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm lucky enough now that it's it's um, like I, I booked a bunch of commercials this year, but none of them have run. I've, I've booked six this year, and none right. have run. Oh really? None have run. Ugh. So yeah, it, that 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 kills you because. The, the downside of, of this kind of like of the actor lifestyle is there's not stability in terms of like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to make X amount every sure. week, which means that I can upgrade the lease on my car or buy this thing. Or right. That. You just don't yeah. know. Right. So you, you get a check and you're like, all right, two grand. Yeah. And then you can't be like, they're like, that's it for a while. That's definitely coming again. Yeah, that's <laughs> always coming for sure. And, and what was the process of getting an agent like? Um, the process of getting an agent um, was... Uh, well, you know, it wasn't. It was. It's when you don't have an agent, it's an awful process because you're you like don't know. You're like, what do I do? How do I get one? You're emailing people all the time. In New York, I didn't even know anything. About, I knew that agents existed from like movies. You know what I mean? Like, I knew that. Where's like, my Jerry Maguire? Exactly. Show me the money. You have someone that you call. That, hey, that's like, a good line. You should write that down. Yeah, really. Yeah. Show me that money. <laughs> Hey, where is that money? Please. I want that. I like see this money you speak of. I think you need to loosen yeah. it up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you just, so that was like a tough process because my my uh, my commer- I had a commercial agent who I got um, from uh, doing a, a soap opera improv show called Heads the Diamond Burns at UCB, uh, and he had come out and he grabbed a bunch of people, uh, uh, and he was great, and he was always trying to get me a theatrical agent. Which they call it out. You know, out here they call it legit agents, mm-hmm. right? Which means TV and film. And in LA they call it theatrical agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and he was always trying to help me out, but he just couldn't. Like in New York, it's very theater based. 
So, yeah. and there's not a lot of comedy agents per se in New York. There's more of them now than there used to be. Uh, uh, but it, New York is very old school in that sort of way. So they, people don't really see the value of like a, a you know, a Tina Fey-esque person like me. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's how I think of you. Super Tina Fey-esque. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so I, I moved out to L.A. with no representation. And... Um, I uh, uh, an agent who uh, uh, got in touch with me uh, basically and, and was like, "Hey, do you want to get get this on?" I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> definitely do." So I feel like getting an agent or getting a manager and stuff. It, it's like you can reach out and have people try to pull strings and stuff. But then at the end of the day, it, it comes down to like, well, hopefully they come. To you. Uh, yeah, it's very, I remember. It's very similar in music, actually, yeah. in terms of getting a booking agent or even yeah. necessarily getting a record label. Is that you can reach out to people and like pick people's brains and whatnot. But it's ulti- it's ul- ultimately, at least in my case, it was always someone approaching. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember as I mean, I, it's advice I give to my sketch students because I'm and I'm always like, it's the advice I have to take myself too. But it's yeah. just like I remember asking Chris. Kula. Uh, yeah. He was my 101 sketch teacher, who's now a, he's still a great writer. Um, but I remember emailing him and being like, how do I, what do I do? How do I get this what do I do? shit? Yeah. Uh, and then his, he was just kind of like, you'll get an agent when you need one. Like, yeah. you know, it'll come when it comes. Uh, just, Which is small solace when you stuff. don't have one. You're right. like, I don't need one? Right. Especially when your friends start getting them around oh, you. Oh, it, was, it would kill me. My first pilot like, season killed me out there because yeah. I'm just like, I'm not going out for anything. Why, why am I not? I mean, you don't like me like, Mike, you've been here for three months. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, you and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. And a big chunk of our friendship is based on uh, talking and chit-chatting about what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is in in life uh, and emotional and, yeah. like, relationships? And, and but because that is also a hard part, and you, know, you can speak to that is you know dealing with uh, that everyone you know it, you're you're happy for all your friends, yeah. But there's everyone's at different levels, totally. And you're always kind of trying to you're always kind of competing whether you know it subconsciously or not, yeah. Uh, I mean, how, how do you how do you get through that? I you know what? I, it's fucking hard, right? Because yeah. you don't want to get jealous. You don't want like right. jealousy to rule you. You know, uh, um, I think I think that the thing that always gets me through uh, is Jesus. Yes, <laughs> of course. First and Good, foremost, the big guy, yeah. our Lord and a, Savior. Uh, I have a picture of Jesus that I kiss. <laughs> Open mouth. <laughs> Open mouth. Right there, right there. Just practice. Just practicing <laughs> for the yeah. for the big right, for the yeah. big gig. FP with the JC. <laughs> but the thing that gets me through is um just reminding myself that it's not zero sum right. game, just like always like reminding myself that like people get things and then there's other things. There's mm-hmm. like it's and the number of roles and shit out there are endless. And even when someone does get something that's a, supposed to be a, a big good role, it might be nothing, you know. Right. Uh, uh, or it might be a small thing that becomes big. And just remind myself that there's not there's there's an infinite number of potential acting roles and it becomes infinite once you Realize you can write for yourself and, yeah. and yeah. Do, make your own thing. And there's also this idea that even though you you're you're competing with your peers for certain things, and this comes up a lot on the show, is that like you're on your own path, and like yeah. you know for right. whatever reason, you know you spoke to this person, you made this decision, you did this, and this got you that. Yeah, and this person did all this, 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 and this, and they got that. And yeah. like you were never going to get that because they, you know, it's just like you're on your own path. You're man. complete. Yeah, it's a completely different. Uh, you know, cause and effects chain. There's yeah. like the, you didn't do the same things. Yeah, and and reminding too that any any success within like our world is good for all of us. It's so yeah. good for all of us. And and I have some folks I know that like just can't get over it. Will get like so upset when they see that like so and so got. I'm like that's good for us. Right. That is yeah. a good thing for right. us actors right now that this person is now being spoken of in these regards. Like you, we want that to happen. And it's but it, and it's definitely a change. And Jeff, you could probably speak to this from coming from the music side too it's like you know there's also competition among bands but like you have your band you have your crew your group of guys like we're really proud of all the yeah. stuff that we're doing right and so like it's it's less um i think painful because you guys know you're doing your own thing whereas with the comedy it's like it's just you oh yeah right? it's just your ideas yeah. it's not yeah. necessarily like you have this hard co- i mean you know you do have a hard copy or whatever but like you can't like just you and can't hand someone a script and be like, read this. This is really funny right. as opposed to like check out our live show or, or this yeah, album yeah. or whatever. And Put so on the song while you're browsing. And it's a bigger failure. It's a big, it's, it's not the group. 
It's just you. It's 100. It's just yes, you. It's just you. Fuck it up. Oh, my God. It's such, and that's such the fear where, like, at what point do you discover that you're not any good? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's always the fear of just like, oh, God, it's, uh, it's done. This imposter is where you learn. syndrome. You've been fooling everyone all this time. It's the imposter syndrome. But you know what? It's, it's uh, uh, smarter people get imposter syndrome. Yeah. And dumb people get, uh, what, what, I don't know if there's a word for it, but it's inflated ideas of their own abilities. Mm. Yeah. But, there's a lot of people that will just hear how you feel about stuff and be like, take that at face value. Yeah. And that's how, you know, L. Ron Hubbard started a religion, you know, or he's a genius. He's a genius. I mean, in that really kind of way. He lied his way about, uh, about all his naval stuff. Yep. And, and, but people, when he first got to started doing all the, uh, Dianetic stuff, it, were just like, well, this guy's a Navy hero. You yep. got to trust him. He wasn't a Navy hero. He's, Did you read going clear? I'm reading going clear right it's now. Great, man. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. for, for the listener, for the listener. AKA me, yeah. what is going clear? Going clear. It was, uh, the a book about, yeah, the some... book, uh, and mostly based around, was it Paul Haggis? Yeah. But I, oh, it sure. always sounds like I'm making it up because it's Haggis. This is a fake name. Uh, oh, hey, my name Paul is uh, Paul. Is the director. The director, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, you know, he left Scientology yes. essentially. Yeah. Uh, but it's basically like the nitty gritty of the beginnings and kind of all the. Wait, kind did of, he write the book, or is uh, it about it, his story? It's, it was based on an interview with him originally. Yeah. That was in uh, the New Yorker. Oh, yeah, okay. I or the New York that. Times, and yeah. then they made it into a full book. But it is pretty much, you read it just like, this is, it's like nonstop, just like mind-blowing yeah. shit. I'm not a fan of religion in general, but yeah. uh, uh, I would always be like, people shit on Scientology, but it's like no worse than all the others. And then you're like, okay, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's a little, once you start getting like, into the sea, the sea Org and stuff yeah. like that, it's you're like, like oh, in- yeah. Well, I just want, I don't know if you guys saw that, uh, the new Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, the one with Sarah Silverman that came out a while ago. Yes. And no, she was no. talking about, and she made an interesting point about how, like, one of the things that's so weird about Scientology and why people are so up in arms about it is that just because it's so new, it's so like new. within our lifetime. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I would always say, like, that's why I'm like, it's, it's just, this is like, people would say the same thing about Christianity. I don't think Christianity had basement slaves. Right. Uh, the way that Scientology right. does. I don't know if they still do, but like they, they had basement slaves yeah. for d- yeah. decades. It's, uh, it's nutty. It's, an int- it's a really interesting All right. book. For the I listener, highly recommend clear. for everyone, but yeah. mostly for Mike Pace. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Mike, still, why don't you give us, uh, you know, now you're, you, you are, as you said, lucky enough to be in a situation where you're kind of uh, doing all of this stuff that you want to be doing. Maybe give us, a, give us a final worst gig from the days when you were working. When I was working. Why give us a really crummy job? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Story. Like a, a shitty job. Let's see here. I worked when I was, one of my first jobs that I had, uh, I was a telemarketer uh, for a place that sold basement waterproofing. And me and one of my best friends, uh, uh, Jesse Ellis, uh, had this job together. Uh-huh. And it was the two of us and this guy named Tim and this guy named Rick. And they uh, uh, would, we were in downtown Lancaster in just like this office building that was just like wood paneling. It looked like this awful rape den. It was just like awful. <laughs> basement slave. Uh, basement yeah. slave, totally. Yeah, yeah. We're about to become basement slaves. And, and Tim, I hope I don't, I don't know if I get these names right, but Tim had a Tourette's. Uh, which is fine, you know. People have Tourette's. Uh, it's usually uh, good for cold calls and tell. Great yeah. cold calls, yeah. But it, he he didn't have it when he was on the phone about basement water. Oh. And Rick was schizophrenic. Like John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he would uh, he would be like, oh, and he was like super <laughs> Tourette's. But then when he get on the phone, he'd be like, hi, this is Tim calling from. Uh, I forget exactly what it was called. <laughs> the the uh, waterproofing uh, 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 place, Shadles Restoration is what it was called. I think. <laughs> Shadles Restoration. This is Tim Cog from Shadles uh, this Restoration. This episode is sponsored by Shadles Restoration. Yeah, yeah. We've got all of your waterproofing needs at Shadles. Shadles, not shady Shadles at all. Shadles.net. <laughs> Shadles.biz. <laughs> GoDaddy.com. <laughs> but Rick was completely schizophrenic, and, and, and Tim was writing a book, and this was in high school, so I had no idea really uh, uh, what this word was, but he was writing a book on the history of the word filibuster, and it would just be the four of us... <laughs> Yeah, it would just be the four of us in this room, and and Rick was just like this hugely like perverted dude that was always just talking about just like eating girl. He was just like I, my tongue is eight inches long. You're talking about how his huge tongue, uh, uh, and, and uh, just disgusting. And um, 
apparently whenever he was alone with Jesse, he would intimate to Jesse about how he knew that like Bill Gates had a moon colony that like they've been trying to like recruit him for and stuff. Uh, uh, and, and that like they were after him and yeah. like recording all his stuff. And then Tim would always need like rides around, uh, uh, because he didn't have a car. Uh-huh. He had like this big mustache and these glasses and, and he would just go and hang out at the Lancaster, uh, library. Uh, uh, and I just remember there was just like this, Awful job, where I, I don't even know. We how long like did you work there? Just a summer. Okay. I don't. Well, how did I you sold get that work. one? I don't know. Somehow through Jesse, he knew someone that got him. And it was just the four of you guys in like just a the four of us in this basement in Lancaster, PA. Yeah, and it was summer. it was and and we'd just get like these sheets and and we just like cross them out when we'd yeah. called people and try to talk them into baseboard <laughs> waterproofing. Did you ever sell any? I don't think I ever sold one. <laughs> I don't think I ever sold one. But it was just so weird. Like, right. should not have been in that situation as a 15-year-old. Right. Well, Mike, to bring the shawl. <laughs> bring the shawl. Or should we ask all To bring the shawl full circle. Bring the shawl. Uh, to bring this all full circle. Mm-hmm. Question that we ask all of our guests. What do you think of the word gig? gig. What do I think of the word gig? I, you know, I feel like there. I know you guys, you don't like the word gig, right? Not a, not a fan of the word gig. I'm actually, I'm actually okay with the word gig. Uh, I noticed you're using it. I was using it. Yeah. Well, you know, my worst gig ever. In the context of the <laughs> show. Sure, sure, sure. Each time you would cringe and be like, oh, still, what are you doing? A little bit. Uh, uh, I, I don't mind the word gig because I, I think it implies that, like, you're... Uh, um, it's paid. Someone, I feel like someone else said that thing, said right. that before. But like, whenever I hear gig, I'm like, oh, that means you're getting paid for it uh, versus doing a show, right? which I feel like in sketch or improv, you're like, oh, we're doing a show. You're like, okay, you're doing a show, but if you say yeah, I got a gig, it means like, oh, you can't, you know, you're you're going off and someone's going to pay you some cash. That's for it. true, because definitely yeah. in improv and sketch, you're never thinking about getting paid. Like, you no. know, if you're playing, if we're playing a show, like we're playing a show with a band, yeah, we're hoping we're going to get at least thirty bucks. There's yeah. nev- it, it, I've no, never a thought that there's going to be much. So that actually, no, that's a new, that's a new take on it, on an take. old favorite. Yeah, <laughs> new take and an old favorite. <laughs> To bring it all full circle. Full circle. Some great, some great worst gigs in there. Yeah. A lot of, lot of great kind of inside baseball there about the inner workings of improv teams yep. and everything that I think uh, we're all going to appreciate when we listen to this again. Uh, <laughs> I will. So, Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so look, I know you had kind of a harrowing experience getting here from Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. You know, you had some, some issues with the flight. Not sure how long you're in town. I um, uh, hope it's, it's a long time. If not, I mean, <laughs> thank you. This is a toast. I feel like this is a toast. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought again. No, because you know, I, I just want you. You know, you got to you got to fly home across the country. Jeff and I just want you to get home to safe. get home safe. Oh, thank home you. Safe. Worst gig ever. ever.